This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 438. There's a sweet spot that we all have in terms of how we want to be recognized. And to me, it's, it's up to us as leaders to find out what that is. Today, employees exercise greater control over where and under what conditions they'll work. This significant change means many employees have an unprecedented position of power and leaders must find new approaches. Leaders who recognize this seismic shift and align their leadership behaviors to satisfy the needs of their employees will build cultures that are both engaging and profitable. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I started this podcast because I believe if you want to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. My guest today is author Patrick Verano. He's written a book called The Leadership Bridge, How to Engage Your Employees and Drive Organizational Excellence. I'll be asking Patrick to share about the importance of cultivating well-being and happiness as a leader, the six leadership behaviors necessary to achieve success as a leader, some of the more common reasons as to why you may not have many followers, and much more. If you struggle with taking action on the things that you read or any other content you consume for that matter, maybe you write a lot of notes and later those notes are hard to sift through, they're not well organized, or maybe you can't even find them to begin with, I want to encourage you to get on the notifications list for my Note Making Mastery cohort. We call it Note Making Mastery because it's so much more than about just strict note taking. You have to understand what it means to make effective notes, notes that will be useful to someone else, as in future you, because future you is someone else. You change, you grow, and when you come back to those notes that you took weeks or months before, they have to make sense. There's got to be context. So we show you how to do that and much, much more in Note Making Mastery. You can get on the notifications list right now for the next cohort just by going to readtoleadpodcast.com slash list. Today, in fact, we're wrapping up the second ever note-making mastery cohort, and I can't wait to get cohort number three off the ground very, very soon. One more time, visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash list to get on the notifications list right now. And before we welcome our guest, I'd like to take a moment to recognize that this week marks one year since the release of the book, Read to Lead, the simple habit that expands your influence and boosts your career. In fact, officially, one year ago tomorrow, August 31st, the book came out. And I cannot be more pleased with how it's impacted my year this past year, including countless speaking opportunities all over the country, like the folks at LinkedIn, former Disney executives and their groups, the Virginia Council of CEOs, and many, many more. The best part in all that, as you may know if you've ever done something like write a book, is the notes and emails and messages I receive from folks who've been impacted by it. There's no better feeling in the world. If you have a copy of the book and you've yet to leave a rating and review, boy, that'd be great if you could help me celebrate one year by doing that right now. We've got, at last check, 97 ratings and reviews. I'd love to see that go over 100. And if you haven't purchased the book yet, what are you waiting for? Just go to Amazon or you can go to readtoleadbook.com to grab your copy today. That's readtoleadbook.com. 
Patrick Verano and his company Emory Leadership Group have been helping develop world-class leaders since 2008, but his obsession with developing better leaders began at the age of 22 when he struggled to lead his first group of employees. He quickly learned that a college degree, a single management program, and a title were not what inspired others to follow. And as a result, he began to experiment with what did inspire followers by combining evidence-based approaches with real-world situations. Today, his Proven models have positively impacted thousands of leaders and employees from a wide variety of industries. Again, his brand new book is called The Leadership Bridge, How to Engage Your Employees and Drive Organizational Excellence. Well, Patrick, uh, this has been a long time coming. You and I first spoke months ago about today, what we're doing right now. It seems like it's been forever since we initiated this. So thank you for your patience. Thank you for being here. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to dive into to your new book. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. And as I said before uh, we got started, that this was on my bucket list, let's mm-hmm. say, and you've inspired me. I oh. started listening to your podcast several years ago and really just fell in love with it. And oh. I will tell you, there there aren't many guests that you have had on that I haven't purchased their book or <laughs> have already read it ahead of time um, because there's so much value here. And and to me, leaders are learners. That's really what we do. And, and, and that's what you're trying to promote. I love it. Mm. Well, thank you for saying that. And I apologize for the the amount of money <laughs> you've had to budget for books. <laughs> it's an investment. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, let's start at the beginning. Where better to start with the leadership bridge? And, and that's with the roles that two things I want to touch on, self-awareness and well-being play in one's ability to lead well. Yeah, without question. Um, it's interesting. So in 2008, I went through a coaching program called IPEC, right right outside of Boston. And as part of that, they had another program around emotional intelligence, which was with a group called Genos um, Emotional Intelligence. And it was interesting because as I was reading about emotional intelligence and this idea of perceiving, understanding, and managing emotions, it just seemed very basic to me in, in that I came from a sales background. And that's that's really what we did in sales. If you were effective, you were able to understand the environment that you're in. Right. And what was interesting at that point, and I think less so today, is is when people heard the word emotional intelligence, they thought, oh, fluffy, kumbaya, it <laughs> doesn't have much value. And it's the opposite. People that really understand uh, emotional intelligence or how to behave emo- with emotional intelligence, they're the strongest. And self-awareness really is at the at the base of that. If you If I don't know myself, how can I really recognize or know things in other people? Mm. What, in your view, Patrick, do we need to think about as leaders when looking to cultivate well-being and happiness? There are a number of acronyms that we're going to unpack uh, from this book, and and I'm I'm hinting at the first one, which is power. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. Power is one of those uh, acronyms, and I I love acronyms as well. And and to me, I find it's it's easy to chunk information to understand it. So, yes. power is is all about how do you build power, not about strength and and overcoming people, but internal strength. Mm. And there's a lot of research that went into power by other individuals, and one that I I use quite often is a gentleman named Sean Aker. I believe is out of Harvard, and he mm. he conducted what was called the 21 Day Happiness Challenge. And in that, what he did was there were five activities that people were asked to do. One was that they had to write down three things that they were grateful for every day. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And for 21 days, right? The first three days is pretty easy, right? To <laughs> think of three different things. When you get to day 15, now you're at 45 different things that you've had to, because they had to be original mm. uh, every morning. And I think that's where the power of that comes. Because what do we do when we're not thinking of things we're grateful for, or when we can think of lots of things we're grateful for, it makes all of those other challenges or things that we have to deal with much easier, right? Because all of a sudden I'm like, well, wait a minute, I thought things were so bad, but I've I've been able to rattle off 45 things that I'm grateful for, right? So that's the, yeah. that's the first part. The next was that in this 21-day happiness challenge, people had to do something for somebody else. Mm. It could be send a note to somebody, could be buy somebody coffee, but something that didn't impact you. There was no benefit really to you. It was it was to helping other people. The next thing that in this 21-day happiness challenge that individuals had to do was they had to write two to three sentences about what went well over the last 24 hours. Now, for me, when I when I use this, I always recommend people do it at the end of the day before you're going to bed. And the reason being is because if you think about it, if I start my day out with gratitude, mm. three things I'm grateful for when I wake up in the morning, and then I end my day before I go to bed of saying, what went well today? I've bookended my day. And, and how many times do we maybe go to bed thinking of, oh, I, you know, I didn't get this done today, or I got in this argument with somebody, or you know, this is what's awaiting me tomorrow. And, and to me, I think about it from a standpoint of restoration. When we go to sleep, that's, that's when our body restores. So why not go to sleep in a positive place? And that's around writing down three, you know, what I'm grateful for, two or three sentences about what went well during the day. So the next is exercise that in this 21 day happiness challenge, people had to do 10 minutes a day. That was it. 10 minutes a day of of some type of exercise, right? (laughs) Easy (laughs) enough. The last thing that people had to do was they had to find two minutes a day to focus on breathing. That's it. Two minutes just to focus on being with self and that's it. And power is the acronym that I developed based on those five activities. And there's a lot of other research by other researchers that mm. that validate each one of those things. But I created in a, in a way to say, it's a power hour, really. All of those things take less than an hour to do. Praise is gratitude. O is others. W is writing at the end of the day. E is exercise. And R is relaxation. It's that two minutes of quiet time. So, there's so much out there in regards to mindfulness practice right now. And it's so easy to do. There's so many different apps and things that can help you through that. And it's so powerful for us to do that. Mm. Well, I, I, I want to jump now to the next acronym. Uh, and, and this one is going to take some time to unpack. And I want to kind of unpack this one one letter at a time if we can. And that's the six behaviors, which leads off uh, or comprises, I should say, part two of the book. So we've, 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 we've covered in a truncated fashion part one. I want to go into part two now, the uh, uh, cable behaviors, I guess uh, I would call them, with the C in cables being the congruence cable. And I guess that comes down to aligning our words with with what we do, what, our actions, yeah. right? Yeah. And really, the cables model was designed around this idea of when we think of, of a bridge, a mm-hmm. suspension bridge in, in particular, and one that I will often reference is the Golden Gate Bridge that runs from right San Francisco to Marin County. And if you look at this bridge and you were to cross-section it, that one three-foot cable that runs tower to tower really is, I think, about 27,000 individually wrapped cables mm-hmm. that gives it all of its strength. And to mm-hmm. me, that's no different than our relationships, whether it's at work or at home, is that the more we behave in ways that are positive, we continue to build these cables. So this bridge 
gets stronger mm. and stronger. And really, that's that to me is is the essence of any of the relationships that we have. Again, whether at at work or at home, is that the more we behave in the right ways, the stronger the bridge becomes. Mm. So congruence is the first cable in this in this bridge that we're building, and it's around walking the talk. Is what I say and what I do in alignment? And if it's not, we run into um, a, a lot of problems. We, in, in, in a work setting, we run into distrust, disengagement when that doesn't happen. And think of how many people would say that, well, you know, I work for a company and the values that the company says that they stand for are integrity or collaboration or respect. Yet I look around at the people that I report to and I don't experience any of those things, right? Our, a company says its employees are its most important asset or its most valuable asset. Yet many would would laugh when they hear that out loud of to say my company doesn't doesn't believe that. Mm. They don't they don't model those. So they don't walk the talk. Congruence is huge. And connected to that, uh, the next one, appreciation, what have you learned about recognizing employees the right way? Yeah. It's so simple, right? We've we've overcomplicated this and in, in what people need. And and Gallup, one of the sort of largest groups out there that does engagement surveys, one of the questions in there and when what's called the Q12 is around in the last seven days, have you been recognized for mm-hmm. doing good work? Right. In the last seven days. That's not even in a week because most people aren't working seven days a week. So that's really over two weeks have you been recognized if right. you look at it that way. And it's so important. There's a trophy company in in Maine, in Portland where where I live, and their tagline is recognition doesn't cost, it pays. Recognition doesn't cost, it pays. And people don't need uh, oftentimes a lot, but we all need some sense of recognition for what we're doing. So when appreciation, there are two, there are two things that we do in, in appreciation with this cable. As one is we recognize people for what they do. The other is we recognize people for who they are. So the first one is, is about recognizing people for for what they do, for their efforts. So an acronym within an acronym, right, is now RPMs, Mm. which RPMs are about recognizing positive moments. Mm. And if you think about this being in your car, we all have, you know, that tachometer, that thing that tells us how the engine is running, Mm. is that in our car, if the tachometer, if that needle runs too low, the engine's probably going to stall out. Something's wrong. That's in organizations. When, When they don't recognize people enough, disengagement happens. The organization stalls. The flip side of that, though, is that in your car, if you put your foot to the gas pedal to the floor and let the engine rev all the way into the red line, the Mm. engine's going to burn out. In organizations, that can often be where companies have implemented employee appreciation programs that that seem um, disingenuous, Mm. right? So people are cynical about those employee of the day, of the week, (laughs) of the hour, right? Nobody believes in it. There's a sweet spot that we all have in terms of how we want to be recognized. And to me, it's it's up to us as leaders to find out what that is. The last company I worked for, I was voted employee of the year and was let go in the same calendar year. <laughs> so, wow. so they didn't like good people. Uh, d- d- disingenuous. I understand that term quite quite well. Yeah, um, I think a lot of leaders too, uh, Patrick, uh, struggle with with uh, cultivating a feeling of belonging. In the workplace, yeah. Uh, in in the cables acronym, that's that's the B, right? How do how do we impact yeah. as leaders belonging? Yeah, so belonging is is a huge one, and and we we've heard so much probably recently this term psychological safety, mm-hmm. which psychological safety was first sort of ex- 
explored or tested back in the 60s in terms of what that meant. And Google has done a lot of work in this area in terms of looking at what are what are the best organizations do? What do the best teams do? And it wasn't having all the smartest people on the team or having all um, you know driver personalities on the team. Oftentimes, what it came down to is having an environment where people shared in the voice. Everybody had an opportunity to speak. And also that there was a sense of respect within the group. That's psychological safety. So on a team, as an example, if a leader is asking people for insight or ideas on how they can improve the environment and somebody comes up with an idea and and the leader or somebody else rolls their eyes or, or dismisses it, what we've done is we've created an environment where the person doesn't feel as though they belong. Right? They don't feel connected to this because they're thinking, you know, what what I have to offer and and what this company values is not the same thing. Mm-hmm. There's not a connection here. Yeah. We all have a need for belonging and psychological safety. That reminds me again of the company that I used to work for, which uh, don't get me wrong, was a great company to work for. I was there for 13 years, but there was a time when those of us on the quote unquote leadership team would meet separate from the rest of the staff, and then out of those leadership team meetings would would come directives that then others who weren't at those meetings would be charged oftentimes with implementing. And over time, there was resentment that built up from those other folks who didn't have a say in the decisions being made, but yet were expected to then carry out uh, the results of any of those decisions. And we realized that that's not going to work long-term. We need to make some changes and foster more belonging than what we were, <laughs> we were fostering at that time. Yeah, it, it really is. In, in in this environment that we're in right now with this the great resignation that we hear about, it, it's interesting because my opinion on this is, in, from my own work, is that the great resignation has been going on for decades. Mm. All you have to do is look at engagement surveys that have been done that show that only about a third of employees are engaged. The right. difference now is that people are physically leaving organizations where prior to this great resignation labeling, they had already left emotionally and intellectually. They just physically hadn't gone anywhere yet, right? But they had already left. That's a great distinction. Uh, well, the next one, uh, as we move along the cables acronym, building our our bridge as we go along here, uh, is listening. And I thought it was inter- interesting. You make a distinction between listening with the eyes, the ears, the mind, and the heart. Can you unpack that a bit? Yeah. Um, so when we listen with our ears, we're listening for tone of voice, the speed at which somebody speaks the word choice that they use. And it's really important because I could say a sentence that is something like, I didn't take your book. But if I say, I didn't take your book, it probably means that somebody else took it, but I didn't take it. Or if I say, I didn't take your book, probably means I took somebody else's book. And if I say, I didn't take your book, it probably means I took your computer, I took your wallet, I took something else of yours, but it wasn't your book. And to me, what's interesting about that, it's the same sentence, but very much how I say it, the meaning is very different. So when we listen with our ears, we're fully focused on what somebody is saying. And then when we listen with our eyes, we're listening with looking at body language, facial expressions. Um, There's a lot of good work out there. Um, Joe Navarro uh, was an ex-FBI agent, wrote a book called What Everybody is Saying. And he was a profiler on on people's body language. Mm. And we have what's called the autonomic nervous system that we don't control. So sometimes when we're feeling anxious or nervous, we might rub our necks, we might rub the fronts of our legs. There are certain tells that we have when when we're uncomfortable. And the better we are at listening with our eyes and watching people's reactions to us or their actions and what they say, we're better able to listen to them. 
The, the next one is listening with our mind. And that's what we slow things down. Listening with our mind is about listening from the sense of curiosity. What is this person really trying to say? Is what I think I'm hearing and what they're saying the same thing? And that can provide an opportunity where I don't maybe get defensive on something or say something that I then regret that I said because I felt like I was being, right, having to defend my position. Right. And the last one is listening with our heart, which is about imagining if the roles were reversed, how would I want to be listened to? When you listen in all four of those components, it's very hard to not be fully present with the other person. And I would say, especially over the last two plus years, what I've seen is we've gone from an environment where people, not only do they not listen to understand, which to me is the the gold standard, is they now we listen to undermine. Is I'm only going to listen to you until you finish, so I can tell you you're selfish, you're stupid, you you don't you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I'm not really listening to you. And when that happens, we can't solve anything. We're not going to resolve conflict or inspire anybody if we're not fully invested in listening. Mm. We mentioned the word empathy early in the conversation. That's the next behavior in the Cables acronym. And you make an argument that that empathy is strength. And I think a lot of people don't think of it that way. How, how so? Yeah. Without question, empathy is mm. is strength. To be able to put yourself aside. And and we hear so much from you know authors like Brené Brown around vulnerability. To me, empathy is, is vulnerability. Mm. And I would go even further to say that as leaders, we need to practice what I would call intentional vulnerability. And that is where I actively able to say to somebody, I don't have the answer. I'm struggling right now. I'm sorry, Um, whatever that might be. But as a leader, when we're able to do that, we think of that other person that maybe they're dealing with these things. And if we can say it first, if I can tell somebody that reports to me, you know what, I'm I'm struggling right now. I don't have an answer for this. Mm. Then it also provides them, I think, a sense of, again, back to psychological safety, a feeling as though they too can say when they don't know what's going on. Now, I always preface this with saying, or I should say, I, I will mention in this, I don't want my leader every day to come in saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I don't know where I'm going. Right. <laughs> but I do want to know that they have that in their wheelhouse. It builds trust when mm. when when there's a sense of empathy that's built there. Yes, for sure. Uh, and the final one is called specifics. And and at the end yeah. of the day, this one is really all about like effective communication, right? Yeah, totally. Um, now in organizations, when I go in and work with teams or or one-on-ones, I will often find that this is an area where th- this is a root cause of, of problems when there aren't specifics and what I would call clear expectations. But there are two parts to this, right? We need clear expectations, but also we need ownership to those clear expectations. Right. And I think that's the other part that can can throw people off. Right, we we're not clear enough about what we want. So when we're not clear enough about what the expectations are, we can both walk around or walk away dissatisfied about what happened. You as the leader thinking that I don't know how to follow instructions, and I leave frustrated thinking you're somebody that can never be pleased because I gave you what you asked for. Mm. All because we didn't have clear expectations. Now the other part of this is around accountability, or what I often would rather call it is ownership, and that's. When we set clear expectations, if we don't hold each other to those, if we sort of let them go, then it's hard to reel that back in to to then hold people to what the clear expectations were when we've let them go for so long. And the importance of this is that if you think about this, we're right back to the beginning of congruence, walking the talk. Mm-hmm. As an organization, we say we stand for these things. These are our policies. This is 
what the, you know, this is what the expectation is. Do we really follow through on those? And if we don't, we're not within integrity of our of ourselves and, and our organization. There's a chapter titled, The Five Reasons Others Aren't Following You. <laughs> when, when, a, when a leader struggles to gain the respect of, of those around them, you know, to cultivate willing followers, if you will, what are some of the more common reasons in, in your experience for that? Yeah. So this is the model that I created called GREAT. And I had the good fortune of going through um, a, a week-long workshop many, many years ago with Robert Cialdini, mm. um, who's one of the world experts in, in influence. Yeah. And he talks about six principles. For me, it, this is where my sales background sort of kicked in is, mm. is I find that oftentimes people resist. They want to say no before they want to say yes. So if I could understand what are the resistors, what what are the things that naturally create somebody to to maybe be hesitant to wanting to say yes to or, or what I'm asking of them or where I'm asking them to go. Mm. And that's what great is. And if you think about it, I would often ask, how great is my resistance, right? How great is my resistance? Mm. So the G in, in this model is around goodwill. Does the other person think that what I'm asking them to do is just in my best interest or is it in their best interest, right? And if we don't think there's goodwill there, if we think somebody's only asking us to do something because it's going to serve them, we're naturally going to resist them. The next is reactance. And this, I do a lot of work in personality around DISC. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand personality styles, this one can can play a role in this is that if my personality style is different than yours, say I'm I'm more of a a direct driver type person and you're more sort of introverted and, and you know, you, you take things slower mm-hmm. that I could ask you to do something and naturally you, you're repelled by me, right? There's that reactance. You don't want to, I've sort of put you off. Mm. That's when that one comes up. So I need to understand my personality styles. The next one is apathy. And that's all about, well, we've been doing it this way for so long. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. The next one is expertise. I was going to ask about the E. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> um, so expertise is around, do you know what you're talking about, mm. right? Should I be listening to you in the first place? Do you have the experience or the expertise to be able to, to make this recommendation for me? Mm. And I think that's really important to use or, or understand, especially if I'm a new manager coming on a group, mm. right? There is this sense of what's your past experience? Do you, are you qualified to lead this group? The next one is apathy. And that's what we've done has worked this way for a long time. Why do we need to change? Yeah. Um, and that's where I think the Cialdini work comes in is, is understanding that scarcity oftentimes overrides apathy is we spend so much time trying to convince people on what they're going to gain, the benefits of making a change mm. that oftentimes if we position it as to what are we going to lose by not changing, that can motivate people more off of apathy. Wow. And then the last one is trust. And to me, trust stands by itself. If we haven't built that level of trust with somebody else, naturally, we're going to be suspicious of wanting to to follow somebody or to say yes to somebody if we're not sure that we trust them. Mm. For a second there, I thought you were going the G-R-A-T-E as in great, full. <laughs> See, now you know why I need acronyms. because it's- <laughs> I, I love them. They help me. Um, you also share what you believe to be uh, and this is one of my favorite chapters in the book, a better system for setting goals and habits that actually stick. Uh, I'd love for you to elaborate on what you've learned in, in that area. Yeah. Um, so in the organizations that I had worked for, one of the ones that we had always used were SMART goals. Right. Um, and I have, I think SMART goals are certainly valuable, but my experience was in, in many of those that, that, you know, when I would talk to them about SMART goals is that they became cumbersome, right? Is mm. because the SMART is an acronym. Is probably why I liked it somewhat 
in, <laughs> in somewhat of a fashion, but is around specific and measurable and actionable. And, and here's where it gets cloudy for me. Is it results-oriented? I, I don't know the R oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And the last one is around time-bound. It seemed like a lot to me, and we were missing an opportunity. So in my own work, what I try to do is say, how do we refine this thing? How can we whittle this thing down to something that's easier to use? And I found that there were three components that were most effective in setting a goal. And one of them wasn't included in SMART. So the acronym that I use is called SET, S-E-T. And when I'm done with these, I ask myself, are my goals set? Do they have each of these three components? So it's a way for me to, to test where I am. Right. So set goals are about specific. Is my goal specific? So if it's around weight loss, I can't just say I want to be healthier. Mm. There's got to be, uh, you know, probably I want to lose 10 pounds. Mm. Or if it's I want to do something more regularly, let's say I want to be healthy, I'm going to I'm going to walk 3 days a week, right? There's a number, there's something specific to it. I'm going to jump to the last letter first intentionally this time, Jeff. It's around <laughs> time bound. Right. Right? I get that. Is that time bound is it speaks for itself, right? Yeah. When when is this going to be done by? January 1? February 1st, what's the date that I'm going to have this thing completed by? And most people understand those, Mm. right? The specific and the time bound. Right. The E is the one that I think is most important though, and keeps us on track. And that's the emotional component of a goal, Mm. the why. And what I've done is I created up in what I do with my clients is to say, ask yourself five times why you want this goal. So let's just say it was losing weight. Why do you want to lose 10 pounds? Well, my youngest son is is going into middle school and wants to play football and I want to coach and I'm not really in the best shape right now. Well, why do you want to coach him in football? Well, because he's getting older. It's it's time that, that we get to spend one-on-one together out there and I want to be able to have that. Well, why is that important to you? Well, because he's going to go into high school next and I won't be able to coach him and I'm going to see even less of him. Mm. Well, why is that important to you? Well, because at some point he's going to be out of the house. And I know that you know there's research that suggests that by the time your child is 18 years old, you've spent 90 to 95% of the time that you will ever spend with them. Mm. So I want to make sure that I'm maximizing all of that time now because I want to have a relationship with him as we're adults. So now we've gone from this, I'm going to lose 10 pounds to really, it's much more than that. This is about a legacy with my son. Powerful. And if I walk into the kitchen and there are Oreos and oranges sitting there, then maybe I'm more likely to go for the orange mm. when I can say, no, this, is, this goal is really important to me. And I think oftentimes that's when we don't follow through on goals is that we don't have a strong enough why. It's not important enough. And I had heard somebody once say that if your why isn't strong enough, your excuse will be. (laughs) And it's true. I know for myself, the things that I haven't done, it's because my why wasn't strong enough. I I wasn't invested in, in the way that I really wanted to get this thing done. Well, in in reading this and learning about this and then hearing you speak on it just now, I, I know for me, I recognize, you know, myself as someone who you know, has has been a goal setter for decades and always struggled a bit with the smart system, if you will. I even know someone who created the smarter system and added a couple of letters. I struggled with it and I always just thought it was me uh, that, you know, this works for everybody, but Jeff, I love that you have whittled this down to its essence. You've kept a couple of components, but then you've brought one into it that I wasn't there before. And it is, as you said, arguably the most important. So from this day forward, set is is how I'm setting my goals. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Goodbye, smart. No, no offense to those who do that, but set is 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 it for me for sure. You know, Jeff, it's interesting that you say that in terms of whittling things down because I think leadership overall, we've overcomplicated 
mm. developing leaders. This is simple stuff and not easy, but simple in, in terms of this is about behaviors. Cables is about, it's all about behaviors. And then if we, if we behave in the right ways, we will inspire people to want to follow us, regardless of our title, they will want to. And again, whether at home or in the workplace or in the community, doesn't matter. Well, I do have a couple of questions, uh, Patrick, that I want to ask that aren't connected to the book. Before I do that, though, anything else you want to make sure that we know from the book that I didn't ask? Um, just that when we talk about the leadership bridge, this bridge is something that we can cross regardless of it's in a work environment or a home environment or personal environment. These, mm. Those same six behaviors, those same six cables will strengthen any relationship that you have. We're, we're all constantly building bridges. That's it. That's all that we do with each other. And I like the the sort of visual picture you painted earlier of the intertwined cables and, and the strength that's found in there. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, if I were to go up to the, the Golden Gate Bridge and cut a hundred of those cables, nothing is going to happen to that bridge. <laughs> it's just like our relationships. If we've built enough cables in the right way, we've built a strong enough bridge, we're all going to make mistakes. We're going to do the wrong things. But those are repairable. The bridge is not going to collapse. Over the course of your career, what have been some of the most impactful books you've read, Patrick? What are books that you find yourself recommending to other people? So I, I go old school on some of these. Mm-hmm. I think two books that that really inspired me in many ways. One is Think and Grow Rich by mm-hmm. Napoleon Hill. For those, the title might throw you off. The book has nothing to do with about being rich in, in the <laughs> beginning. It's it's much more than that. I think foundationally, mm. um, see you at the top is another one, Zig Ziglar. But if we if we sort of come forward today, there are a few that I really love. One is called The Practicing Stoic by Ward Farnsworth. Mm. Excellent book. And then two more recent or one one recent, but an author I really love is uh, Dan Coyle. He wrote a book called The Talent Code, and he wrote another book called The Culture Code. That's more recent. The Culture okay. Code is an, is an excellent book, both of them. One more is The Ultimate Sales Machine, probably one of the best sales books I've ever read by um, author Chet Holmes, who's who's no longer with us, but his book is is timeless. My introduction to nonfiction was a Zig Ziglar book called, uh, I think it's The Secrets of Closing the Sale, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and then later, See You at the Top. I was regrettably too young and stupid to appreciate the wisdom of Zig Ziglar, it would be like another 10 or 15 years before I would come back to nonfiction. My 20s are just like a lost decade as far as learning and growth, in my opinion, unfortunately. I have one of those. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I want to ask you finally, uh, Patrick, about your note-taking style. I lead a, a cohort of about 20, 30 people every, every couple of months uh, called Note Making Mastery, all about personal knowledge management. And I'd love to know maybe uh, any tips or tricks that you might have with regard to the content you consume, be that books or podcasts or uh, videos or articles on the web. How do you typically like to capture those things you come across that you want to massage later to, to add your own words to, to paraphrase, to make your own, to build upon? What methods do you use for for capturing and gathering and organizing that information, if if you have any? This is probably an area where I could grow even more um, because I am one of those that I still, I will be driving down the road. I have a notebook or a notepad and I'll be sort of trying to watch the road and, and write down a thought that I have in my head mm. at the same time, or I'll send myself texts. And those are the those are the two ways that I will generally take notes, but I'm always doing that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think for me, the challenge is, is that the organization is not always there that I will have 
sheets and sheets of of ideas mm-hmm. as I'm writing, and it's yeah. trying to uh, to combine them into something effective. So. I think I need more help from you on that. <laughs> well, uh, you are not the first person I've asked that question whose answer began with, I think I can improve in this area. So you're, <laughs> you're definitely in the majority as far as that goes, but I'm always looking for little nuggets and, and I appreciate the ones you shared for, in your case, capturing things on the go when you might not otherwise be able to take time to really sit down and, and think through something. You just need to capture it quickly and, and make sure it's not something that gets forgotten, right? Right. So I think I'm a gardener. <laughs> You've been paying attention. Yeah, I think I'm a gardener. Um, and and I, it's interesting though, because I'm one of those, I, I have a, a business coach that I use and, and she's tried to recommend different strategies for me. And, mm-hmm. and the same thing when I wrote, and it is finding the right one that works for you. And, and mm-hmm. I think that's so important, right? So I've learned a little bit. Yeah, Patrick is referring to last week's episode that I did <laughs> yes. on the various note-taking archetypes, one of which is is the gardener. That happens to be me. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, Patrick's book, again, is called The Leadership Bridge, How to Engage Your Employees and Drive Organizational Excellence. I've really appreciated uh, the time I've had to spend with you, Patrick. I'd love to do it again sometime, maybe even face-to-face soon. Would love it. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Appreciate it. As always, if you'd like to find out more about Patrick, his book, and his work, or to connect with him online, all the links and resources you're looking for have been linked from readtoleadpodcast.com slash 438 for episode 438. There you'll also find a link to get on the notifications list for my next note-making mastery cohort, as well as a link to grab my book, Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career. If you haven't grabbed that already, celebrating its one-year anniversary, August 31st. Again, the place to go for all that, readtoleadpodcast.com slash 438. Our September lineup is shaping up to be a great one. My friend Vincent Puglisi will be here, also author Helen Cup, and a name you've probably heard before, Marshall Goldsmith, is scheduled to make his Read to Lead podcast debut. All that and more happening in September right here on the Read to Lead podcast. Well, that's it for this time. Hope to see you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read.